Genre. Each week, we look at a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week, it is our Halloween special for 2021. And joining us at for, is this our sixth year, Todd Peterson and Todd Mack? Oh my gosh. I it th- is. I think it should be. <laughs> That's crazy. Sixth Unless it's a pocket universe. Halloween special. Uh, we have Todd Mack, uh, Protagonist Podcast co-founder. Welcome, Todd. Uh, happy to be here. I feel like this is the culmination of a series of halloween specials is it not <laughs> in, in as uh what, what we have planned is kind of a a spin on everything we've done before you mean <laughs> no i mean haven't you been doing halloweeny stuff for the last month oh, oh yeah yeah we've been doing a few uh a few spooky things yeah. we did captain america as a werewolf classic <laughs> halloween story that everyone is familiar with uh <laughs> we did the great pumpkin uh charlie brown and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We recorded that one in March, so I had a really hard time remembering what the other one that we did for October was. Uh, but as always, we're very pleased to have Todd Peterson joining us as well. Welcome, Todd Peterson. Oh, it's great to be back. Yeah, six years running, Todd Peterson, of coming on just to do bizarre Halloween antics with us. I know we have to do seven and reach numerological perfection. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that'll be the goal. Uh, I, I know, uh, I think it was last or yeah, in, in Christmas, 2020, I pointed out to Todd that in 2019, I had said, you know, we hope to have you back next year, Todd. And as soon as we stopped recording, he's like, are you, are you thinking of stopping? I'm like, no, but you never know if there's gonna be like a pandemic or the asteroid strike the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to make it very clear. Our goal is to get to the seventh annual next year. We will. You never know. Well, this Halloween special, we are going to be doing creepy story remixes. We have each chosen five creepy stories. These could be published short stories or, I mean, really anything. It was fairly open-ended. Uh, or or urban legends, folklore. Uh, I don't know that any of us chose films or TV shows, but that would have been fair game as well. And we are just updating and putting some sort of spin on it. Uh, per round, each of us will present one. And then Andrew Andrew will choose which one he, he likes the most. And uh, you get a point in that round and then we'll uh, we'll have five rounds of this game after each of us presents our creepy story to be remixed and tells the spin that we're thinking of putting on it we'll do a quick work workshop session so that this episode lasts more than 20 minutes which is what i think it would, <laughs> it would go we really just ran through super fast each one everyone's picks i've i've got to say you said which one i like best i don't love the spooky stuff so it might be the one i like least oh, is actually the best choice <laughs> in any given the, the one that feels most palatable to you no, because most palatable is not necessarily going to be <laughs> a great metric. I'm really low on the spooky meter. <laughs> I feel like that's something from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you, so you guys were talking about how this is, you know, the sixth one in the iteration. I was remembering back to the Mount Rushmore fear, which I, I believe was the first one. Uh-huh. Uh, I have actually identified something that I would put on my Mount Rushmore fear. Um, my wife, Kestra helped me elucidate a precise thing. It was like, Oh, that's the exact version that I really, really dislike. And it would be a clown 
dressed up as a firefighter. <laughs> That's the worst one. Is it because the clown is a firefighter or because they were impersonating a firefighter? Uh, well, they certainly don't represent the, the true uh, virtues of a firefighter in my context. I figured out it's because of Dumbo and the Brave Little Toaster. You need to get some help. I, I mean, a lot of people don't like clowns. That's not that weird. But I like, it was going to be because ones... if, if you needed a firefighter, like there's smoke and flames around you. The last thing you want to see coming through that smoke is, is what looks like a firefighter. A and then you see a clown face. That is extremely unsettling. You're right. Um, <laughs> but I think also part of it is like in Dumbo, the clowns are just as firefighters and they're utterly incompetent. And so it's like, OK, this is very much not what firefighters should be. Right. I, I can um, track with you on that. And then the brave little toaster, the firefighter clown is really just the devil. Like it's in a nightmare sequence and it's going to kill him. I have no memory of a clown firefighter from the brave little toaster. I have some memories of the brave little toaster. That is not one of them. Well, he has a nightmare that he burns the toast and starts smoking and he's going to burn down the house. And then there's a firefighter oh, that, that is a also a clown. Nightmare, wouldn't it? That's well and then done. There's a fighter that's also a clown, and it's terrifying. Okay, yeah, I think the writers nailed that. All right, Andrew, do you have an object to flip? Uh, to flip over? Well, I guess there's three of us. How do we do it when there's three of us? Just decide who goes first. Um, we've never had a really truly okay. effective system. Edit this part out. This is I, not I, podcasting gold. <laughs> just, just ignore that I said that at all. And uh, we will have Todd Peterson present first in round one followed by Todd Mac and then I will go and we'll just rotate who's going first from there on out curses now I have to choose this is like when the waiter comes to you first because everybody else says give me a minute I very cleverly made myself third this round um so what I'm proposing is a, a mashup of Edgar Allan Poe's uh Telltale Heart um as a short story still it's not shifting there, but the mashup is um, with a setting context change for it to be social media. Mm, okay. So the idea is there's a guy uh, and he um, is saying some crap on social media <clears throat> that um, turns out to make him kind of like character of the day, like they have on Twitter. Um, and because this one guy is bugging him so much, kind of like the old guy, with the eye in the beginning of the telltale heart. Mm -hmm. He seeks the guy out in reality and murders him. The character uh, of the day on Twitter is the victim is the, um, no, the guy he's the, so, so, someone hassles him and he, yes. and he, and so the, so the character of the day is the one who becomes the killer. Okay. And there's one person who's just sort of, um, chiding him as character of the day. So he goes, finds this person, kills him. Then he goes home and he's like, ah, that's going to be great, man. My social media feed is going to be quiet now. Oh, I think I see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's play it this way. Todd Mack, where do you think this is going? So isn't that isn't in the Telltale Heart, if I remember my seventh grade English class correctly, <laughs> <laughs> when my teacher actually turned off the lights in the classroom and then put a crystal ball in the middle of the room and had everyone hold hands while we listened. Who was your seventh grade teacher? The... Yeah. I don't remember what this. What in the world is that? <laughs> was... I can't remember her name. It was Brian? 
<laughs> no, and then uh, and then she played the audio. Is it Vincent? Was it Vincent, Vincent Peel? Price, or, uh, Vincent Price has a performance of this. Yeah, and then she played that while we all held hands while sitting around a crystal ball in the dark in class. I told my mother she was not happy. About <laughs> yeah, that. like that's the, that's the kind of conduct that gets phone calls to the principal. Yeah. So it, and then uh, he can hear the heart beating underneath the. Underneath the floorboards? Yeah. Is that right? Murdered. Well, it's an unnamed narrator. We don't know if it's a male or female, uh, but they murder their master, you know, is what it like. They're working. They're an employee of this person. Uh, uh-huh. And, and yep, they yep. Mur- murder them and bury them under the floorboard. And they think it's a perfect crime. Like they talk the whole way through about how it's a perfect crime and the police yes. come and they're eager to like bring the police up and show because there's not a speck of blood on the room. Like they did it so perfectly. But then while the police are in there, <laughs> they start to hear the heart thumping under the floorboard yeah. louder and louder. Yeah, so like thump, 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 thump. So the thump, thump is the guy goes back. He gets on Twitter. Everything's there. He's no longer the character of the day. But the person that he'd been chiding and that he murdered still is like sending him messages and saying crap to him on social media. And so the thump, thump of the heart is really like the ding, ding of the notifications. It's the social media notification. Yeah, Yeah, I love this. I like it. And then it it drives him so crazy that he goes back online because part of it is in the Edgar Allan Poe is right. He gives himself away. He just can't stand it. Yeah, he, and he, so, he confesses. Yeah, I was thinking that he ends up confessing online. Um, and then I, I don't know whether or not there's a reveal, but there's some like FBI cyber crimes unit that's got the guy's account and they're and they're <laughs> they're doing something with him. You know, that could wrap it up nicely or it could stay mystical. But but anyways, I thought that would be a kind of a fun way to revise it and then make, you know, do some social commentary on uh, social media and um, it's how it is detrimental. Mm, I like it. Oh, also, the idea was heart because, you know, in Twitter that you have like, like hearts. Like heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that would be a, like a, a fun way to kind of play, play with the idea. I like it. That there, That is my first pitch. And when I was telling my wife about it today, when we were making dinner, she goes, uh, I know you're doing a game, but I really want you to write that story. So <laughs> I, I may have that, uh, put that in the queue. For I will just to say, do. I'm going to go ahead and do one that's thematically similar in terms of social media <laughs> when it's my turn. Nice. I, I think I actually have two, I have two social media ones. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's it. The telltale heart. And I would ask that when it got published, that it would be telltale, Heart emoji. <laughs> I like that. All right, Todd Mack, what is your first proposal? Okay, so there is a myth in Catalonia. It's th- sort of the great Catalan myth. Andrew, I had uh, uh, 30 seconds into his first <laughs> itch that we would hear about Catalonia. I, uh, what, what was your mark? I Well... <laughs> Was when there an Tom- over-under on this? <laughs> yes. I had, I had 30 seconds. You, you, you blew past it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, but I have to say, I always feel so smart whenever we do stuff with Todd Mack because I'm like, look, I did this one thing and we get to hear about Catalonia. Yeah. It's like, it's like I'm like, but I get to hear about something that I wouldn't otherwise hear about. It's not American, which is really refreshing. <laughs> yeah. So, so here, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to need help on all of these pitches. So feel free to just step in at any point. Um, but the, 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 the myth is called El Con- uh, the, the Count Arnau. And it's, it's very old. 
Um, it, it's possibly tied to a real story. It was first, uh, it, it first came out as sort of a, a legend. And then there was a song that people started singing about this guy. And then in the, in the 19th century, um, this academic that was kind of wandering around in the mountains in Catalonia, gathering stories, he kind of wrote it down. And then a whole bunch of romantic uh, authors um, sort of took it up. And so it's been done a whole bunch of different times in a bunch of different versions in poetry and in short story. But basically the story is that there's a count. He lives in a castle and he's rich and powerful. Um, he is not good to the people around him. Uh, specifically, he's married, uh, but he's on a he's on a trip, and he takes refuge in uh, in a convent, and he takes advantage of the of the nun lady that's in charge there, which is not great for him. Um, and he also doesn't pay his workers for the work that they've done. And as like punishment across the board, everything as punishment, he's cursed to ride around the countryside with this pack of devil hounds. So when you're out in the woods in Catalonia and you hear strange things, uh, you may be hearing Count Arnau, who has been cursed to just ride around the countryside with the pack of devil hounds. So I think it's a very interesting story. And and the the, the way that I would like to redo this is um, like a modern retelling. And I was just thinking like, who are the worst people that we know of and and the answer is businessmen right and so <laughs> I, I i only had one alternative in mind i had a couple and of what was your alternative politicians politicians right i was gonna so, say social media influencers same <laughs> thing <laughs> well it could be, a few it could, options actually it, it could be all three this person could yeah. be all three of those things right so he's a <laughs> He's a Silicon Valley startup guy who also is dabbling in local politics. And has a huge social media following. Reality, has star a huge... reality TV star. <laughs> Just throw it yeah, all but in. Here's the other thing. The, the other thing that makes this actually kind of work is that in some versions of the myth, uh, Arnau is actually a hero of the reconquest of Spain. So Spain was... Uh, the Iberian Peninsula was, um, was conquered by the Muslims in 711, and then there's this long reconquest by the christians wait they had 7-elevens out of that they had 7-elevens back then yeah slurpees and yeah, oh the whole, the whole the whole deal yeah it was amazing but if it's uh, coming forward i was wondering before we even get too deep <laughs> yeah. in this what if this was done as a mock true crime podcast oh <laughs> That's amazing. So we get because like, it, because and the idea is because of all these different perspectives, right? Like yes, so there could be these the, different the workers. Now wait yeah. a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You're telling me that you can imagine a world where a wealthy business person who mistreats people is raised up on a pedestal <laughs> yes. and and celebrated by people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's there has to be some sort of suspension of disbelief, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I think we could I think we could expect for some people to go them. along with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was gonna say uh, it could be like with the idea of that podcast, like each episode, like we're peeling back back the onion of how awful this person was, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so you get so you get this from, and there would be some people who would see him as a hero, and there mm -hmm. would be interviews with those yep. people. There we go. Uh, this is like NPR style, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And and well, yeah, I think this could be. So. so the question that I have is like, what does it look like for our modern day social media influencer slash local politician to be cursed to, and to ride, ride around, around the countryside the with, with with a bag with a bag of bag of devil hounds? Um, I mean, does it have to do with social media, like? Are they cursed to... They have to read the comment sections. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> uh... I don't know. Because, so, so in the in the curse, like, he's riding around the forest with the pack of hounds, and they're, like, punishing wrongdoers? Or, like, what are they no, doing? Are they just terrorizing really. people? And they're just terrorizing spooky? people. If yeah, you hear it, yep. it's bad news oh. coming your way. Well... So, so what if hmm. it... What if it goes into this, and you think that what they're going to get is some sort of maybe legal or social repercussion for this being out there, but that doesn't happen. But you know how these um, podcasts, they, they always sort of turn, there's like a, a thing that they go into and then they pivot on like, we just discovered something. And what if the big pivot maybe in episode eight of 10, there really are hellhounds. Like what really happens is this, um, <laughs> this person ends up with that real curse and nobody can believe it because it's just too insane. But Rudy so Giuliani did today um, decry a political opponent using an Abe Lincoln face filter. So, <laughs> so anything goes really. So you may be like, if you're, if you're at Stanford and you're up like hiking up around the dish and you hear something, something, you know, a bush, right. a, a, a branch crack in the, in the bushes, it may be count R now. It's really, it's probably really actually hellhounds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and they're just kind of like, like wandering it. around. Uh-huh. I really like the idea of this as a true crime story with the different, uh, with the different viewpoints. That's the, that, that was the key to unlocking this. So All thank right. you. Well, I already teased that I have one that's somewhat thematically similar to, Todd Peterson's pick. I'm going to read that one for my option, but I do also have a, a uh, short story that is very thematically similar to Todd Max uh, <laughs> urban legend that he just shared. But I was going to take the monkey's paw short story. And oh yeah. Love it. I wanted to title this new short story, either like and share or terms and conditions. I wasn't sure which one. <laughs> So The Monkey's Paw, if anyone is unfamiliar, is a 1902 short story by W.W. Jacobs and tells the story of this uh, husband and wife and they have an adult son and they get their hands on this mummified monkey's paw and they're warned though, like it grants three wishes, but you don't want to, you don't want your wishes to come true. And they're like, whatever. And almost like jokingly, Mr. White like wishes that they could have enough money to pay off their, their house. And the next day, their son dies at work and the company comes and says, it's not our fault, but we're paying you this lump sum uh, just so you don't bother us. Uh, sorry about your son's death. And that's the exact amount of money they needed to pay off. Uh, oh, this is terrible. The, the, uh, the mortgage. And so uh, they, they go to the funeral, they mourn, they cry. And then the wife says, we should wish for our son to come back. And, and they, they wish that. And then they're like just sitting there and the husband's like, this was a terrible thing. We shouldn't have done this. And like the, the, the you know, the, the, the atmosphere changes, it gets cold and dark and windy and the storm comes in and then they, the, the lights 
lights blow out and then they hear knocking on the door and the the, the wife wants to run and open the door to see their son but she can't get the, the door unlatched and and then the husband's freaking out and th- says you shouldn't go look uh and and as like just as she's getting the door unlatched he grabs the pot and wishes that their their son wasn't back and then when she opens the door there's nothing out there and that's the end of the story so uh the monkey's paws wow. is you know this idea of the you know the wish with the 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 awful twist um so in the social media version is that there's a new social media platform and someone actually reads the full terms and conditions and sees where way down near the bottom there's this promise that if they go and like uh, and subscribe to uh, a certain account their wish will come true and they go and do that and they wish for uh, uh, popularity and notoriety and and to be a social media influencer but they become the character of the day oh yes social media <laughs> <laughs> and everyone knows who they are uh but the, the so the character of the day is the idea that I, I can't remember who said it but they said every day there's a character of the day on twitter and your goal is to not be that person so it's someone who like they they think they're being smart or clever for posting something and suddenly the whole internet turns on them uh <laughs> so like recently there was the bad art friend article um mm-hmm. about uh two short story writers that are kind of in a feud and no one looked good in this story but like it twitter became obsessed with it uh of the idea of being the bad art friend and basically like no one who touched that story or was involved in that story in any way is happy that the story was told and became popular <laughs> it's um, kind of awful the, for their lives another example is um a couple months back the cinnamon toast crunch and the shrimp tails yes mm-hmm. uh, because right. ultimately people started dragging his personal history pretty significantly yeah, and pretty once you become famous people start digging through every tweet you've ever made and discover anything that all, could all of your re- ex-girlfriends come back the the whole f- mechanism in the story of reading the terms and conditions and finding out you might be able to get wishes. That's so awesome. (laughs) Because Uh, it would be the thing like what would be the where would be the best place to hide wishes in an end user (laughs) licensing agreement like Yeah, and like I said, I don't know which is the better title for this short story, like and subscribe or terms and conditions. Uh, but but either one kind of hit what I was looking for for that one. I think terms and conditions. I like terms I, and conditions. I would go terms and conditions, and it would have to be with the and sign, not the word. <laughs> and all caps. Yeah. Yes. And uh, um, and a monospaced font. <laughs> okay. So we, I have to choose one of these options to be like, okay, this is the the the, the one for the round. Yeah. Okay. So we had we had Telltale Heart with social media. We had uh, the count with a true and, crime podcast. Yeah. And we had the monkey's paw. I I have always had a soft spot for the monkey's paw, and so I am going to go with that one. And that did sound really fun with the terms and conditions and. And, you know, the curse that comes with it, it's just it, like it's built into the algorithm. <laughs> All right. So round one. So that's, awesome. It's a I win for secured Joseph. One point, And it is an insurmountable lead. One, zero, <laughs> zero. Todd Mack, uh, you get to lead us off into round two. Okay. So I'm going back to Catalonia, of course. Um, are, this is a non- are all of yours from Catalonia? No, this is the only other Catalan story that I have for now. Um, is it going to be the... called Catatonia in Catalonia? <laughs> no. So this there's there is a novel 
Um, little known, but should be much more widely read. Uh, it's called Natural History. Have any of you heard of this novel? Oh, did we no. talk about this this summer? Yes. Yep, we did. <laughs> Keep going. It's awesome. Okay, so nat- Natural History is uh, by Juan Perucho. It was written in 1960. Um and Harold Bloom put it on his list of like the Western canon. So it shows up on Wikipedia sometimes. It's like, oh, this is a great novel. Everybody should read it, but nobody ever does. Because I think it's pretty hard to get your hands on. You just said um, so much about Harold Bloom and his list. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, people in my field like to look at that list and go, see, Fernando Pessoa, everybody should read him because he's on the list. <laughs> or Borges, uh, who, who will show up later on my list. But um so natural history is the story of this guy. His name is Antonio Monpalau. And he's sort of a like a Johnny Squarejaw, uh, just a really solid guy. Um, and he is an enlightenment scientist. He This is in the early 1800s in Spain. Um, and Spain at that time was in a civil war uh, between the Carlists, who were kind of looking to the past. They're associated with kind of rural... Uh, r- rural Spain, Catholicism, mysticism, and stuff, and the and and then the the liberals who were fighting for um, Isabel, the the Queen of Spain, and that they're sort of in favor of progress and science and stuff. Um, so our friend Antonio starts to get um, he starts to hear about some kind of creature that's out in the mountains that is. It, it can't be identified. It hasn't been classified yet. And he's a he's a he's a zoologist and and a botanist. And his job is to classify stuff. His whole house is full of all the things that he's classified. And so he feels like he should go out there, but it sounds like maybe this thing is a vampire. And so he keeps putting it off because <laughs> I respect that. Not- Procrastinate a little. <laughs> Oh, you know, the room really needs to be straightened up before I can go look into that vampire thing. I better yeah. reorganize the shelves. The vampire actually starts to um, starts to come to him to like kind of haunt him and attack him. And he always has these rational explanations. Like he's at this he's at this uh, this bull this bullfight, and all of a sudden the bull its its eyes turn red and it turns like into like a devil bull and starts chasing him around, and then it and then it turns into smoke and goes up into the sky. And Antonio's response is. This thing, this this event is so poorly organized. <laughs> That's his response. <laughs> like he's just not really willing to face the facts of what's going on around him until uh, he gets a letter from a lady um, who is living in a town that's really being terrorized by this vampire and it's, uh, it's killing people. And Antonio gets the letter and he goes to his other scientist friends and he says, guys, we should go really look into this because people need our help. And they're like, oh, I don't know. My back's sore. My, you know, <laughs> my arthritis is acting up. And he's like, fine, then I'll go by myself. So he goes on this adventure. Uh, he gets a, his cousin to go with him and like his, his manservant. And they go on this adventure and, uh, and w- they end up getting swept up in this civil war um, he's a he's a he's a liberal, right? In in favor of progress, but he gets captured by the by the other side, and um, and eventually becomes friends with the people that are his captors because the guy that's the general uh, that 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 has captured him has been bit by the vampire and is slowly turning into a vampire, and so he has to try to catch the vampire and kill it before this guy turns in 
to to a vampire. Um, and then in the end, he ends up uh, getting a letter from the vampire, which says, "Dear Antonio, you've been chasing me around the countryside, but the reality is, I'm tired. I'm tired of being a vampire. I've been doing this for 400 years, and so this is where I sleep. Just come, and you can stake me, and and it'll be over." And Antonio finds that he actually feels sad about this because he's come to he's come to respect the vampire and uh but he he fulfills his duty he kills the vampire and then he goes back home and uh and nobody can really he just can't relate with anybody's like classic hero returns from the journey and is profoundly changed because of his experience so the thing is is that it's a total parody of uh of vampire stories because nothing really um so I just read this with my students, and some of them were very frustrated about this novel because Antonio is just a really good guy, and stuff kind of just works out for him. And it's really, it's really frustrating. Um, but it's also, I, I don't know, I, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a parody of a classic vampire story, but it has this like really kind of soft heart. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a story about the beauty of uh, that, that when you choose to help people, things are going to go okay for you. Like it's really going to be all right. And, and that there's profound change that comes from that. So I would like to remake this story as a Ken Burns documentary, a Ken Burns style documentary with letters. My dearest so-and-so. And, uh, oh my gosh. And, and yes. like the black and white, like the black and white pictures and the Ken Burns effect and telling the story of Antonio. And I can imagine like the pictures, these like grainy black and white pictures of him, in front of it, like his his in his house with his laboratory and his microscopes and all of the plants behind him with all the labels and, and then, they've got like uh, his it, it's like his his um his field book notes. Yes, it's his as, field as book the notes. Right, the, and then the letters that he's writing back to his girlfriend Ines, who he meets in the mountains, and and they fall in love, and and then the war, all the war stuff, the war pictures, and and battle scenes, and you can get different viewpoints of people in the battles and. Um, I think this could be really, really cool. And then, and and a lot of it is epistolary, right? Because you have um, uh, people writing. Uh, I mean, so it in true like novel form, it's kind of a a, a mashup of genres. So you get scientific stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter that's just all about the rocks of Catalonia and. <laughs> Um, and there's like when they describe like the battle, the sewers it, of Paris chapters in Lehman. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I'll tell you, it drives students absolutely insane, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, cause it's parody, right? Like it's supposed to be your, and, and my students, it took them a very long time to realize that they were reading a comedy and not a real vampire novel. That was, <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, I think this could be a really cool thing. As a as a as a Ken Burns style documentary mockumentary, right? Well, um, let's see, the community did a Ken Burns episode mm -hmm. that demonstrates that you yes. can definitely adapt that style into into comedy. Yeah, so I think that this story really works in this documentary style because one of the things that frustrated my students was that there's not a lot of action in the novel, and they wanted to see the blood and the guts and everything. And it's just not there. And it's because Perucho, the author is trolling the reader 
you he knows that you come into this expecting Stoker, and so he's not going to give you Stoker. And it, and it, I think it's really funny. But if you really want Stoker, then it can be really frustrating. But if we just make it a documentary that where all you see are the pictures, then I think it uh, I think it works. I like it. I like the story. I want to read that book. It's very cool. I mean, it's in the canon, so. I <laughs> well, and then Todd, I'm also picturing it where, like, you've got, you know, a couple of episodes of this, like three or four episodes of, you know, all these letters and the journal entries and all this sort of stuff, and then towards the end of the last episode, you have one letter from the vampire narrated by someone completely different. You haven't heard them the entire time, <laughs> and you have this one sad letter at the end and it's the well and the thing is the thing is that it it gives me this thing that i love in in vampire stories it, which is like the old the old world you know like oh because because uh onofre the deep the 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 vampire in the story he was turned into a vampire in the in the 1300s 1200s and so um so you get like the old manuscripts and the like the visual of that. I just love those, those old stories about people that have been alive for a very long time and how they found the philosopher's stone or were turned into a vampire or something. I'm all about that. So that would be like maybe my favorite episode where we hear the vampire's voice. He tells his story and we get to go back. And now this thing that has looked like Ken Burns doing the civil war now turns into Ken Burns doing medieval manuscripts and, 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 and illuminated, you know, works and and paintings on on romanesque churches and stuff i think it would be super cool i like it a lot uh let's see how it holds up against my second entry which is i'm just gonna get rid of the one i teased last time the the new england uh short story that feels somewhat similar to the one that you shared have have any of you ever heard of peter rugg the missing man i don't uh, think so no. i have gg rugg so this is apparently a short story from what year was this written? Hold on. Um, written in 1824 and it was huge and like everyone knew it. And then it kind of got forgotten uh, and no one talked about it again. But the character of Peter Rugg kind of became part of New England folklore and people assumed it was a folklore thing. But we could all point to the Ur text and say it's this short story published or written by uh, William Austin is his name. But it tells the story of a man who's kind of a. Uh, uh, just ornery and angry and emotional and will like curse God and stuff. And uh, he and his daughter are riding in a horse-drawn carriage home and a storm comes up and he pulls over for a little while and the storm's just getting worse and worse. And he says, you know what? I'm getting home tonight. And someone tells him like, you, you really shouldn't. And he says, oh, I'm getting home. I don't care how bad the storm gets. Uh, and then we cut to him never arriving home. And now in New England, wherever you are, if like a storm suddenly comes up that's unexpected, it's you see Peter Rugg riding in his carriage and all he ever yells out is which way to Boston because uh, he's trying to get home. Uh, and, and you see him and his daughter uh, always wet with rain in the carriage um, and asking for directions to Boston is the way this story goes. Uh, the story was originally written uh, epistolary. So it was, it was like as letters of someone like telling that I ran into, like I saw, I saw Peter Rock. Uh, and then like other letters come in with accounts of other people seeing Peter Rock. And so the short story kind of becomes folklore, um, even though it was published in like a literary journal, it just kind of ended up getting passed around for so long that no one reads the story anymore, but you could still sometimes hear references to Peter Rock, the missing man. 
Um, and I was trying to think of how to put a twist on it. And I thought of Uber. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> some version of ride sharing or, uh, <laughs> or uh, grocery delivery, something along those lines of someone trying to get somewhere and their uh, their GPS just isn't working forever. And now they're cursed <laughs> to no longer have GPS properly directing them. <laughs> and they have to ask actual people for directions. <laughs> and that's their only social interaction. And now it happens forever that a car will pull up, window will roll down, and someone will ask for the directions to somewhere, some city nearby, wherever you are. It's a nearby city they're asking for directions to. And that that, that, that was the, the, the modernized twist I put on that one. That is a kind of nightmare. I love that. To actually have to have human interaction. Yes. I mean, for so many people like, eh, I can't talk. I can't talk to people. <laughs> so my kids watch this show Relative Race on BYU TV. Do you guys ever watch this? I'm familiar with it. It's like uh, it's it. like a mashup of um, Survivor and uh, is it The Amazing Race? The Great Race? I was going to say The Amazing Race and Who Do You Think You Are is what it seemed like it was a match. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and Because um, that was a genealogy Yes, one, yes, right? yes. And so it's Who are. Do You Think You Are, Survivor, and and, uh, and and The Amazing Race. But these people have to travel around and they're trying to find their relatives and they're driving in cars. And on the first day, they have to turn in their, their, their smartphones and they can't use any GPS. They have to use regular paper maps. And <laughs> it's like, it's pretty comical uh, to see these people. <laughs> they have a, it, many of them, it seems, have literally never seen a paper map, and they have oh no gosh. idea what to do with it. I mean, the, <laughs> this guy goes, "Where are we going? New Mexico? Great, New Mexico. I've never been out of the country." <laughs> <laughs> It's like that, and and they have to just stop and ask for directions, and it's like, oh, this is so hard. We actually have to talk to people, but uh, it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's the mm-hmm. hardest. It's the hardest part of the thing is just trying to find, just trying to find <laughs> addresses. <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd Peterson, what is your second story? All right, I wanted to do a mashup of two things that might not find themselves together. Um, that seems like how so much good horror happens anyway, right? Like Victor Frankenstein finds these body parts that are not the same. So he stitches them up. So what if we had, uh, a romance novel set in area 51 on the military base. (laughs) And so there's two people they're working together, uh, Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, very standard kind of traditional, this man, this woman. Um, And when people were working in Area 51, irrespective of UFOs or anything like that, they oftentimes couldn't tell anybody, even their families, like what it was that they were doing. They just, you know, knew that they worked for the Air Force or they worked for the CIA or something. And that that might be all their families knew um, because it was so secret. But I thought, oh, man, if you had a job like that and it was creating all these secrets, it would create a real stress in your relationship, right? Like, how was work? Eh, whatever. Uh, I can't even talk about it. But you take these two people and they're in Area 51 when something curious happens, right? A, a kind of um, UFO, X-Files style curiosity. Um, perhaps they're taken up in a craft. Perhaps just the craft crashes and they have to go... Um, retrieve it from the desert, whatever it is. But 
in any case, they are kept on the base for a really long time. And this causes strains in their own marriages, um, respected to each other. Uh, and then it's tragic because those marriages dissolve while they're being held. And then a new romance starts between the people that are um, on the base. And it just feels like it would be so sad. But then again, what would you do when the only person that you could talk to about a significant event, like going up in a UFO was <laughs> like not your spouse. And so I was just figuring romance novel, maybe uh, a little bit in the territory of the Hallmark movie, but with a darker edge to it um, <laughs> and, and area 51 and just kind of see uh, just about like what this did. And it would just kind of be a character study of a marriage. Um, and hopefully what I would be shooting for with all of this is to say, gosh, this isn't what I wanted, but those two people kind of would have a kind of intimacy that maybe it would be impossible for them to go on with their lives as they were because the only person they could talk to about this was this other person. Plus UFOs. Yes. (laughs) I'm a total sucker for Area 51 stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. I mean, it's well established on this podcast, like Area 51, cryptozoology. Like I'm all yeah, in. me too. Like, I don't actually believe. I want to believe. Like I want it to be real. I don't think it is, but I want it to be real so desperately. I think you. I think uh, we want it to be real, and also we really don't want it to be real. I think there's that that simultaneous thing, but wouldn't that be great? Like we want. Uh, you know, the idea of a romance that can be and can't be, it's forbidden, but it's the only thing that's there. I don't know. I just think it's, it's fantastic. And I, I think the the fact that they're, they're that much secrecy would break their marriages down um, just as a natural byproduct of it would be a really cool way to thematically explore how you probably shouldn't have secrets in your marriage. Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of a, like a Miss Saigon thing going on in this. Is there? Are you familiar with Miss Saigon? Um, no. It's, it's a. I'm not familiar enough to get the reference. Well, a guy no. goes um, to Vietnam, and he's there. It's super intense. He meets this woman. They fall desperately in love, um, and then when they evacuate uh, Vietnam, he leaves and she stays behind, and he's kind of haunted by this the fact that he never sees her again, but moves on with his life, gets married. And then uh, one fine day, this woman shows back up in his life and she has a son and he's like really strong. <laughs> he has to really struggle about, you know, like what do I do now? Cause I'm married. I'm happily married, but I also, there's this thing that I went through and she was such an important part of that. And now there's a son and it's just him kind of, trying to process all of that so th- i think there's something there i would say to what yes there is that vibe I'm, I'm imagining with area 51 someone being abducted and then years later the alien comes back with <laughs> half human half alien <laughs> have i told you guys ever about the story i have it's it's i i don't have it quite right but it's a mashup of Close Encounters and uh, Ransom of Red Chief. No, I've, I've not heard I don't so, know Ransom of Red Chief. So Ransom of Red Chief is this, um, is it O'Henry? 
or maybe it's Ring Lardner or something like that. But it's one of these like early, early 20th century stories about some guys kidnap a kid and the kid's a monster. And so then they end up like having to take the kid back. And so the conceit is the aliens come pick up that kid in close encounters of the third kind and then like ride around with him a little bit. And then he tur- he's like touching everything inside the spaceship and they're like we can't do intergalactic travel with this kid um so they they go to the they, we'll just find wherever we are and we're going to set him down and we're going to pick somebody else up and so they put the kid down and they grab richard dreyfus and that's really the what's going on inside the spaceship they're like and and so the the tone that's played by the spaceship is really this kid touching some stuff he's not supposed to and then it turns into this whole other thing so yeah I guess I did two um, with one shot. It is O. Henry. I checked the recesses of my mind. It is an O. Henry. So, anyways, uh, Area Fifty One uh, romance. Sad, okay. tragic romance. Tragic. Yeah, romance. it is a really tragic romance. So overall, in round two, I liked Todd Max Vampire uh, documentary the best. Cool. All right. Then uh, I will lead off round three here. Todd, Mac, and myself tied at one point each. I am going to be taking the classic Richard Connell short story, The Most Dangerous Game. Oh. Mm. The the story of a, a big game hunter who gets uh, thrown overboard and washes upon an island where uh, he finds out that he is going to be hunted by a man named Zoro. Are you going to somehow turn this into social media? Because I think we've, we've no. tread that ground. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going back to that well uh, right now. Let me double check my future pitches. I <laughs> think we're good. Uh, did you? Did any of you or particularly your children watch when Netflix turned the classic game The Floor is Lava into a game yeah. show? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to turn the most dangerous game sponsored by Nerf into <laughs> an American Gladiators type game. Where uh, one person will be let out into oh the uh, the field, the arena, and then someone else will go hunt them. Whoever wins that episode stays on with the title of Zaroff <laughs> and will play <laughs> the next episode as the hunter. And they, you can only be dethroned from being Zaroff by being killed, <laughs> but hit with the nerf darts, uh, you know, first from uh, the prey that have been released in. And whoever can like hold the, like, like it'll become like when there's a, new, a recurring champion on Jeopardy and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, have you seen like, you know, 21 episodes in? Uh, that's what we're looking for. Like that kind of buzz around who's who's the reigning Zaroff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not no, that, so it's not like turn, tournament <laughs> style or anything building up. Like, no, no, this is like just every every night oh, it's man. on. That's <laughs> like a tough challenge because like whoever's the Zaroff, like they could build up all that experience and practice, and so like someone's mm-hmm. got to come in and they got to be sharp to take over. Yeah. So is it just one? Yeah, it's I, just one against one. That is my current pitch, but I am willing to workshop this. And what's the? And is there a re, an arena that they're in? Is it like a? Yeah, there's is arena it like with, an Amer- American like Gladiator style, or is it like a Hunger Games style arena? Um, I was thinking American Gladiators, but now I'm also thinking like, uh, let's go Nickelodeon, like Legend of the Hidden Temples, like lots. Yeah, of so you rocks. should have like a couple of different <laughs> and, environments inside the warehouse. Yes. <laughs> but but obviously, clearly fake. Okay, whatever's in okay, there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And so there will be hiding spots. And also, you only go in with one dart. You've oh. got to find 
you've got to find more nerf darts around. There's hidden. Develop oh, your yeah. develop your arsenal. <laughs> but you go yeah. in, and if you're if you're real and sharp, Zaroff. you go in, and you've got that one shot, and you could take it. But here's the thing: the Zaroff doesn't get a dart <gasps> when they walk in. Oh. Okay, that's actually really good. Yeah, because you, you call the it the world's most dangerous looking game. <laughs> are there traps like 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 there's uh, foam, again, foam pits yeah. that you can fall yeah, into i'm trying to oh yeah like like quicksand foam where it looks mm-hmm. like normal ground but then suddenly you're in those and there's foam like pits and there's like, the, like the kind of like, places that it just exhausts you to dig mm-hmm. your way out and there's of. like ninja <laughs> warrior areas and so you have i'm trying to remember in the, in the story in the story what kinds of um what kinds of things does what's his name Zaroff? Yeah, like there's some tiger traps. Yeah, he's got things around. Snares. And, uh, snares. Yeah, I think there's definitely some snares. I, w- I want to say there's like the classic, uh, you know, bent over, ba- you know, a sapling with a knife maybe features. It's been a while. I, we did it as an episode of the podcast a couple years okay. ago, but I can't remember the, um, the full details. Does so Zaroff doesn't get a dart when they go in. Do they get to go in first? And like they can lay no, out lay out traps the, the, or anything, or is it like nope, they're both going into the location having not seen it. Mm-hmm. So the traps are, yeah, are preset and everything. Yeah, but also, I mean, there's budgetary constraints. There's only so much that's going to be a very you know. So once Zaroff's seen it a few times, mm-hmm. they know what to expect. Like there definitely is an advantage of having been in there. Oh, okay. So I was I was imagining, I was imagining that each episode Zaroff would des- would design a new a new arena with his oh, with his oh. own traps okay i kind of like that so that's their advantage but they don't get a dart to go they have no darts and they don't know where the any of the hidden darts they don't get to know where they, they are but of course the beauty of the nerf gun once they've been shot at and the other person misses there they can pick up that dart <laughs> off the ground <laughs> right well but and that might be the strategy is to like be well, seen uh and trust but, they're gonna miss with the but the Zaraf doesn't start out with a gun either i assume Oh, I thought they were gonna have a gun. I don't, you know, you can't go but so far. I mean, the, the I other guy only has I don't one understand dart the, and gun. <laughs> I don't understand why we don't give Zaroff a dart. I mean, like that's the whole the thing that makes that story terrifying is that this guy's all alone and Zaroff holds all the cards. It's true. Yeah, but, but I can't but, imagine. Yeah, I just feel like for for TV drama, it might like you don't want too much of it. Like you, you got to keep it somewhat known. I mean, so Zaroff. Having been in the arena before, already has that. Yeah, advantage. if you, if you give Zaroff Jennings too many advantages, he'll never lose. Zaroff Jennings, <laughs> <laughs> like the, no. you gotta have some sort of disadvantage to even things out a little bit. Jeopardy comes in pretty even, but if he knows the lay of the land, you know, like how's anyone gonna challenge him? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Ken Jennings, when he lost, it was like on the easiest question. I can imagine Zaroff like tripping on his own. His own snare. <laughs> he like trips his own snare and gets shot in the in the head by a by a slap, a sapling dart from a, from a nerf gun or something. And so this, are they are they ki- kids? Because that would. I kind of want adults. That would ramp it up. I, see, I, I think it should be kids, but. In my mind, I was playing, and I was definitely Zaroff. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it as adults, like, and you'd have like, because you'd have different, different. But you'd have the adults who get way too mm-hmm. into it. Like, <laughs> this is like like Jeopardy training to appear 
on the most dangerous like, game. Like Jeopardy yeah. training like, or Ninja Warrior you'd have training. Like a, yeah, you'd have like ex-special forces people <laughs> that are doing it. But then you'd have like um, – you'd have hunters – and people, yeah, but then you'd also have like the dad bod who just plays nurse all day. With He's like, kid. I know how a nurse fires. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd have the the guy like um, oh, what's his name on uh on Parks and Rec? The 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 guy that runs and his body is like a like a fine tune. Oh, Chris, 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 Chris Trager, right? <laughs> it's Chris Trager. You'd have like a Chris Trager guy come in, and you'd have, uh, yeah. I mean, I I I love thinking you'd have like the Duck Dynasty guys would be on there. <laughs> I so think this is it would be I the like most it. interesting to me if then all the hardcores lose because they don't know something <laughs> yeah. fundamental about how like nerf guns work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not like full on survival and real weapons like it's nerf guns and like there's a stash of granola bars and <laughs> and fruit <laughs> snacks somewhere so, that that and that's how you sustain yourself. Right, so if there's some 12 year old kid who's beating all these guys, maybe that's the Zara. That would right? be awesome. Oh yeah. Oh, it's like then- bear. It's bear grills. It's Duck Dynasty. It's. I'm. I'm picturing. There, that. there would be like a celebrity and- one. You have The Rock on it, and John Krasinski as <laughs> the Rock is, the Rock is, as is a big like target. The-, the Rock is a huge <laughs> target. Cameras everywhere. And you get like the slow mo replays to like decide: did they really get hit by the dart? Because you know, like the person's like, they didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. And the kid <laughs> yeah. from Hunt from the Wilder People is the one who beats all of them. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be like referees, and they're reviewing it constantly, like like in American Gladiator. Yeah. Oh, I still remember. Somehow, I have a memory ingrained of a slow mo shot in American Gladiator showing a tennis ball hitting someone's calf, <laughs> like just barely grazing, <laughs> grazing a calf. I think I have that same I think memory. Nitro had shot. <laughs> what was the? Oh man, I'm trying to remember the name of that event in American Gladiator, where they're like hiding behind obstacles and trying to shoot at the gladiator. Oh, what was it and, called? And, and the gladiator is up with like it, it looks like a Star Wars style like machine uh-huh. gun, that but thing it's just is like so it's cool. like a it's like a Nerf gun or like the it's like a Chuck E. Cheese gun, where it's just like firing this little rubber ball. I want the people yeah. in this game to be wearing the American Gladiator style <laughs> one- singlets. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be like uh, The Rock versus Chris Rock when it's celebrity, uh, the most dangerous well, looking I, I game. We want, I want Jennifer Lawrence, like, but in her Katniss Everdeen outfit. <laughs> oh, man. And but, but the moment that I'm waiting for, though, because you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to like have the perfect shot, line up, and shoot. And then, like, nothing happens. They look and they're like, oh, the dirt's bent. It's bent over. <laughs> My one-year-old ate the ate the end off the Nerf, gun, the Nerf dart, and it won't shoot anymore. <laughs> you got to oh, keep that man. first shot pristine. That's amazing. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. I, th- I think we've covered yeah. that one as well as we can. So uh, uh, I think it'd be Todd Peterson. Would be what are we doing on time right now? We're like an hour into I, this. Yeah, I think this might have to be the I last round. 50 minutes. Yeah, that's okay. what we can lightning round. Uh, I've got one that I definitely want to do. So maybe a quick lightning round after. All right. This is the Hookman urban legend. Classic. Done as a like a style stop motion. Like short film uh-huh. okay this is getting creepy um, i don't know the hook man so the the hook man is this kind of classic urban story where 
Um, there are some young kids there up in the car making out like, you know, up at the point or wherever it is, it's, but it's near this asylum. And, um, what is it guys? There's like a, there's the, the some sort radio, of like, radio like as, report as they're fooling around. One of them like bumps the radio on and they hear the flash of a news. Report. That's right. And it's like, uh, there's a, a, a man has escaped from the asylum and he's got this uh, hook prosthetic arm and you have to be like on the, on the watch for it. And they kind of ignore that of course, cause they're, um, they're uh, making out um, or sucking face or whatever up at the point. And um, then thank you for that. <laughs> um, and then the hook man uh, shows up. He's kind of scratching at the car and, and well, you don't, you don't know that you just hear, yeah, you hear the scratch. That's right. Scratchy, Ooh. scratchy. That you hear gives the scratch. It gets, it gets really upsetting. Um, and the, the kids just kind of pack it up and they flee. But when they do, they take the hook man's hook and it's like in the door handle or on the bumper. Yeah, so, you know? so when they get home, they see the hook and they're like, Oh, it was so close to getting us. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it's meant to be, you know, kind of one of these things Ugh. like kids don't go up to the point or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or some, some various version of this. So I'm, I'm thinking of doing this as like, instead of a Halloween story, a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> And okay. S- and so it's, it's a candy cane. There's a candy cane dangling from the door handle. <laughs> right. So we move them from like high school, put them in college. They're uh, like young married couple, um, but they're still kind of up at the point because um, this is like the first Christmas um, at their parents' house. And, you know, they got to kind of, it's like really too weird to like make out and stuff mm-hmm. in front of their parents. So, but what they've been given the task is go get a Christmas tree and come home. So they have the Christmas tree on top of the car while they're at the point making out when the hook man comes. And uh, so then that's the situation. So then they drive off with the hook and when they get home, they're like, Oh, weird. We had the hook uh, like stuck to the Christmas tree uh, on the roof of our car. And so they take it out. And then um, the way that young people do they take a picture of it, put it on Instagram and say, look at this weird. We got the hook hand uh, here, but we got away f- uh, clean hashtag hook man or whatever. Um, and then the hook man is like, well, my hand is gone. And so he ends up just going on the internet and checking all the places. Their hook man thing has gone viral. And so he finds them, finds out who they are, cyber stalks them, comes to their house on Christmas Eve and breaks into the house to retrieve his hook, which they have now hanging on the Christmas tree as one of the Christmas ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> and so they hear everything going on. The kids in the house think that it's Santa. Oh my gosh. Who's this coming is, into the house, but it's really, really it's the really the one handed <laughs> hook man. Wait, can you stop for one second? I think I see. So uh, is this Cindy Lou who? She comes down. She sees him. Yes. Sof- she, softens his heart. She softens his heart. His heart grows 10 times bigger. And then they invite him for a Christmas dinner, breakfast the next day. Well, and, I don't know and, if it gets that far or whether or not okay. the, the whether or not she sees him. They're like, why are you stealing our Christmas ornament? And it's him trying to screw his hook hand back in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm doing like the Boris Karloff. Oh, yes, my dear. This is quite the wrong size of a hook, and I'll return with the right one. Or <laughs> they come in, they think that it's a threat, and maybe the <clears throat> the young bride becomes like the quote unquote final girl and takes the hook man out with the fireplace poker. Um, it, it feel like it could branch in two ways. 
But anyways, a Christmas Hookman um, mashup. All right. We need to have Todd Mac do his third for the round. And I'd say that's going to be the last full round. And then you guys can like do a brief discussion of any of the others that you want to bring up. Okay. I have a couple of ideas that I like. We're, um, we're going long. We had planned to do five rounds. We're definitely not going to be able to fit those all in. So Todd's I know. Gonna I'm, so I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Uh, there's a Mexican play. It's called uh, Un Hogar Solido. It means a solid home. Uh, it's a short, like a one act play. And um, it, all of the characters in the play are uh, they're dead. Uh, and they are in a tomb. It's a family tomb. Um, and all the characters are the age that they were when they died. And um, as, the, as the play begins, they hear, um, they hear footsteps uh, up above. And they realize that it's time for somebody new to come join them. So somebody has died. And, um, and you get people talking about their stories and um, so there's this kind of like a Coco sort of uh, Day of the Dead kind of vibe. Um, it's it's pretty funny at times, but it's also kind of horrifying because you realize that there's almost no old people in the in the tomb. Most of them are really young, um, and they all have died like pretty horrific deaths. Um, and it's this kind of commentary on Mexico. And so you either die of typhus, or you die in war, or you die because the police killed you in custody. Um, and so it's this kind of strange, dark humor. Um, but it's, but it's really cool. So I was thinking about, uh, a solid home and I was thinking about the, remember the TV show pushing daisies? Oh, Mm -hmm. do I ever? Oh yeah. It's been on our list to talk about on this podcast (laughs) since episode number one. And we still haven't gotten around to it. In pushing daisies, um, the dead people, like the the guy is does he have the ability to talk with dead people yeah, and then the dead people him help him to for a, yeah they they come back to life but he has a timer if he, if he yeah if he goes longer than a minute something of equal value quote unquote has to die spontaneously okay. so so what I'm what I'm imagining is um these like dead Mexican detectives who their job is when somebody dies under mysterious circumstances, their job is to go find the person in the you've Joe, you've seen these Mexican graveyards, mm-hmm. right? Where all the, and all the altars and the everything. Yes. Um, so, so their job is to go and, and they find people who have died um, in, in mysterious circumstances or, uh, or where, where wrong has been done. They figure out what happened and then they get um, – they have the ability to haunt people and make them regret their life decisions. And so, so it's part like, uh, like murder, you know, mur- mystery, solving mysteries, but it's also um, like revenge and great – like there's a great payoff because you see rotten people getting the heck scared out of them. <laughs> uh, all the time by these, by these ghosts. So it's like uh, – it's, it's a series. And uh, and so we get um, it's got this kind of this kind of Day of the Dead feel um, like that aesthetic that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they're but yeah, so they're detectives and they're also like angel, literally angels of vengeance. And they uh, 
and they go around making sure that people regret when they, when they off people, which happens a lot in Mexico. So there's plenty of work to be done. There's plenty of work to be done for these guys. So that's, you know, and there could be like, uh, you know, different people who have died at different times. So, you know, the little five-year-old girl who died of diphtheria, like, uh, 200 years ago and she's she's become like really good at her job because she's had a lot of practice and uh um you know different people from different uh from different life uh like different circumstances social classes um because everybody different dies. ages i just want to say because everybody dies there is an issue with violence in mexico but i never saw any violence in my two years living there <laughs> yeah <laughs> just want to throw that out there real quick <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's my story. I really like that, but out of these, the the one I most want to watch is the Nerf Dangerous Game. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I can't Ooh, get out of my head like how much I want to watch Nerf that. Dangerous game. <laughs> is it? Did we call it the most dangerous looking game? That's what it, uh, well, that, uh, well, so I can't remember. Yeah, someone had said that, but I like the Nerf Dangerous I Game. Think, <laughs> I think Todd Peterson uh, pitched that. So is Todd Peterson even here? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. 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 He was just contemplating the the <laughs> detectives. Well, the, it, exactly. It had to be our final round. That I actually won one of these games. Everyone, I think <laughs> this is <laughs> significant for me. Um, I reserve the right to reverse that ruling, yeah, depending okay. on what you guys talk about in the extras. All right. Yeah. Uh, we don't have time maybe to do full rounds. So uh, so one sentence pitch. Okay. I had my, my other favorite one that I was able to use is the fall of the house of Usher, which uh, a classic Edgar Allan Poe story of an unnamed narrator going to an old estate. And uh, the man who uh, owns the, the estate tells him that his sister just died. And then in the story, we find out that uh, the sister was really buried alive uh, accidentally and has been clawing her way out of, of the tomb. And as she appears, it scares uh, like her last act is scaring her brother uh, to death. And then our narrator runs out and the whole house crumbles. Uh, and, and I want to set, I saw a movie version of that. I want to set it in outer space and have someone floating in an escape pod that gets picked up by a spaceship called Usher. And, uh, oh, and, and there's only one person, there's only one person in on the there ship. who's a little weird, but then this person starts hearing voices through the intercom system. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man. creepy. And we're going to find out it's, it's a sister that the, the one person had said was dead, but is really barely alive on life support and calling out for help, uh, from, and then he gets off the ship yeah. and it yeah. Oh, yeah. crumples. Oh yeah. Yeah. Things are not going to go well. <laughs> from there but that's wow. i want it to be in outer space and an escape pod that gets picked up by a ship called usher that's really intense and also the voice good. through the intercom that i love that motif mm-hmm. as far as like creating creepiness immediately all right so that was the best one of, yeah, of what yeah, you had that was left. My, my lightning round version anyone have any other ones that you just want to get out real quick i was thinking of a comic version or graphic novel version of um, how Johnny Appleseed becomes Bigfoot. I am what? sold already. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't care. <laughs> and and the only other two things I have in my notes is he now hates apples, but he knows where D.B. Cooper's body is. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, 
that that's so my favorite I had... of the night. <laughs> I think that's really, that's really good like, place to start. And I don't from. want any more details. Like it's perfect right now. Okay, so Todd Mac, what's what's your last? One? I just had um, I just had two ideas for two TV series. I mean, like kind of mini series. Uh, I think both of these should be done. Well, one of them should really not be done. Um, it's uh, there's a there's a Uruguayan author called Kidoga. And he has a short story collection called Tales of Love, Madness, and Death. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Sounds featuring in that like is... like light bedtime reading. <laughs> yeah. So featuring in that are uh, such <laughs> classic stories as um, the feather pillow, which is, I believe I've spoken about the feather pillow yeah. where the lady uh, is sick and um, she, something's like draining her away. And then finally she dies. And they try to lift up the pillow and they can't lift it up because there's a bug inside of the pillow that, that has been sucking her blood. Um, nope. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, the wild honey, which is a story about a guy who um, is like an accountant and he wants to go explore the jungle and he knows nothing about the jungle. And so he ends up um, eating some uh, wild honey that has narcotic properties and it paralyzes him. And then he's eaten alive by ants. Um, Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's like just a, just a series of those uh, that would be truly terrifying. But the one that literally must be made is somebody needs to do the, all of the Borges stories, short stories as twilight zone episodes. Yes. Oh yeah. Like it just, it's, it's begging for, to be done. Uh, yeah, like, like circular ruins. Yeah. Circular ruins, Garden of Forking Paths, the Library of Babel, uh, uh, Funus El Memorioso. Um, there's so many good ones. The the Secret Miracle about the guy who um, is at, in in front of the firing squad, and his last wish is that he'll be able to finish his his uh, play that he's writing, and so time stops. And in his mind, mentally, he's able to write this whole thing, and then time starts again, and and the bullet takes him out. I mean, there's just, so so many great stories in Borges, and to do it in that kind of um, like Twilight Zone style with a little narrator at the beginning who says, uh, you know, something in that great uh, voice, um, it just it must be done at some point. They're they're too good not to for the world not to know uh, the stories of Borges. All right. Well, thank you. Andrew, do you want to award any points in this final round? Uh, uh, the victory stands. Those were all solid. I'm and, giving Todd Peterson and, a point. And depending on their Apple rounds, could, could have won. Though. <laughs> no. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed gets a point, I say. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> thank you, Todd and Todd and Andrew, for joining us on the Protagonist Podcast to, for our sixth annual Halloween special. Uh, we hope to have you back next year and thank you listeners for downloading and we hope you enjoyed this absurdity that we like to participate in uh to to get us in the halloween spirit that's going to wrap up this episode for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank scott tofty who composed our theme music todd's is there anything you would like to plug oh as always um Everybody would love it if uh, you went and got a copy of Picnic in the Ruins. And by the way, there's no supply chain problems. It's already uh, printed and in the warehouse. Great Christmas gift. Just slide that to a loved one who's looking for some some excellent reading. 
What's better than a madcap comedy that asks the question, who owns history? With, with a little bit of uh, murder involved. Yes. <laughs> uh, Todd Mack, anything you want to plug? I just think we should all take a, a page from Antonio Monpalau's book and try to go help somebody and uh, that needs help. And you probably find that things in your life will line up better than they otherwise would. All right. So I'm plugging. Oh, so you're such a better person nice, than I am. <laughs> I'm plugging do a nice thing for somebody. <laughs> a nice thing for someone like, to be buying. Go buy Todd Peterson's ruined. book. <laughs> yeah. You say Absolutely. do something nice for people, and I say do something nice for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I, you know, if I had published the book as awesome as Picnic in the Ruins, then I would be plugging it as well. <laughs> I'm just small. You know, doing this is going to get me some kind of monkey's paw consequence. So. <laughs> well, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Ta-ta. Well, thank you all for playing. And listeners, we hope you enjoyed this Thanksgiving. Or not Thanksgiving. What a year it's been. Okay, this Halloween special. (laughs) Um, That, uh, Andrew, I'm just going to give you a fresh outro. Because I called this Thanksgiving. All right. Well, thank you, Todd and Todd and Andrew, uh, for participating in this absurd game that we like to play a version of every Thanksgiving. No, I did it again. (laughs) 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 Okay.